0: Hey everybody, this is Brad Bruce and I'm here with... Jace Marsiglia. And you are listening to the 5195 Podcast. So, Hmm. it dawned on me that I never told the story of that incident I had at a con. Oh
1: yes. And I wanted to get into
0: that before we get into the the topics at hand. Sure.
1: So... Because I have my guess. You do have a guess. I have a guess just based on the level of enthusiasm I guess you could say you describe okay so
0: it was just it was just an odd interaction well
1: the person I'm thinking of is an odd person okay
0: okay we're gonna see we're okay. gonna see so I attended a, a monster Palooza at the Burbank Marriott mm-hmm. and up in the corner there was a guy sitting there that I immediately recognized mm-hmm. I was like wow I really want to talk to this guy mm-hmm So, the con had been going for all of 10 minutes. Okay. All right.
1: And mind you, you're talking about someone who had a table there.
0: Oh, yes. He had a table. He was a guest. Got it. He was a
1: guest. This wasn't just some Joe. No, no. Okay. All right.
0: So, I walk up to him and I'm like looking at the pictures at his table and he is talking to another attendee. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to gauge what kind of person he is to see where this is going to go. Sure. And it seemed normal. So I was like, okay, cool. So he's just a normal guy. Okay, Mm -hmm. cool. And that person paid for the autograph. They took their picture, had their interaction, left. Okay.
1: Without incident. Yes. As they say in law. Yeah.
0: Then he looks at me and he's like, (laughs)
1: like,
0: with these eyes. Mm-hmm. Again, okay, as soon as I tell you who it is, you're gonna see these eyes. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and he's just like, "Do you have a cigarette?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, "No. And the person that he was with, I think it was a family member or agent or someone, okay literally goes, "Don't give him a cigarette." And I'm like, yeah, don't have any. So he's good. Moot point. Yeah. Jumps up, grabs me, pulls me in close. And he's just like, I know you got a fucking cigarette with his face touching mine. And then tries to kiss me by saying, just kidding. And he's trying to kiss me. Like he's pulling me and he's fucking strong. Yeah. And he's trying to kiss me. And I'm just like, whoa. And I put my hand up and I like trying to push his face away from mine. And I'm like, what is going on? So his people come around the, the the table and they're like trying to separate us. and he's like chasing me around. I'm like, holy shit, there's a door right there. I go outside, and he follows me. Oh, my God. And I'm like, what is going on? And I'm I'm like, laughing, but I'm like, this is fucking crazy. I'm like, dude,
1: I need you to fuck off. (laughs) I don't
0: have a cigarette.
1: Here, eat that. Leave us alone.
0: (laughs) And he's laughing, but he's like, I know you do. I know you do. I fucking need one. I need one. I got to be here all goddamn day. It was... Robert Zadar.
1: God damn it. <laughs> Who did, did you think? The whole time, even up to just now, I'm like, this sounds like a Gary Busey story. Oh, that's I, Okay. I know you've got a goddamn cigarette. <laughs> Don't listen to my handler. Get over here. Give me a goddamn Marlboro. You're like, sir. And he, yeah, he's he seems like the type that would lean in like, listen, listen. I'm not allowed to ask you these things, but God damn it, I needed myself a cigarette. It was wild. No. So in other words, that chin. Yes. That fucking massive scary face, <laughs> that maniac of a cop was charging at you for a cigarette. Yeah. Good fucking Lord.
0: And we were, we were literally cheek to enormous <laughs> cheek.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he had like long hair. Oh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I'm buddies with the guys over at Synapse Films. Okay. And uh, they worked with him for the, I believe Synapse put out the special edition of Maniac Cop 1. Okay. And I think Blue Underground did 2 and 3. Okay. But they, I think they interviewed him and shit. Yeah. And when I'd go to their office, I'd see pictures of him and I'm just like, you guys hung out with this dude and they were just kind of like. Yeah, we did. <laughs> you know, thousand yard stare, kinda like, well, you know. Uh, so my story corroborates. <laughs> yes. Yes. Cause I just I remember seeing a picture and um him near the end there barely looked I mean, obviously with the, the facial structure he yeah. had, um, you know it was him, but it was like he did not look like he used to. No. And uh I was very the the picture was kinda jarring. Yeah. But it was him with the two guys at Synapse. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> when I mentioned meeting them, you know, not me, but them meeting them, they both kind of exchange looks like,
0: yeah, we met Robert.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, it,
0: it, was, it was a fun experience. And throughout the rest of that day, if I would walk by, because, you know, you do lap after lap. Oh, after yeah. Lap. Yep. He would always look at me and wink. <laughs> and I'm like, what did I do to you? Like, what was it? It, it, it was one of the funniest times I think that I'd is, ever had there. Like that it is was super funny, funny. Yeah, it's fucking.
1: That's wild. S- though. Still
0: strong though. Fucking strong, dude. Oh, I bet <laughs> he was a strong dude. Yeah. Um, so that was that story. Um, <laughs> and then when we ended the the last episode, I uh, you had said something, and it sort of sparked a question that I wanted to save until this episode because okay. it could be involved, and it, it, and it's a genuine interest. Like it's curious because like. I know for myself, like my answer for this question is, is we'll get into it. Okay. <laughs> but at this moment, mm-hmm. okay, where are you in regards to the goals you set for yourself when you started?
1: Um boy, that's funny. I'm nowhere near it, I don't think. Cause Now is this pessimistic, Jace, uh, or is this No, this is when I got into this, I didn't expect to be a co-host on a podcast that could potentially open doors and get us talking to people and podcasting in that regard with that amount of potential, uh-huh. never crossed my mind. So, this is one of the avenues that I wound up at that I di- I wasn't steering for, but I'm like, cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just happy accident as Bob Ross puts it, you know, because yeah. it was it's off the beaten path.
0: Yeah. And this business is full of them
1: sure and that's that's the thing because uh if we were to go back to like you know your pie in the sky you know initial hopes and dreams i never really had any my my folk and this is going to sound so fake and i apologize but god's honest truth my wife and i have always struggled financially in michigan and uh you know i work in the mortgage industry and the mortgage industry tends to fall out from under you all the time and t- to be honest when i decided to screenwrite, it seemed like a positive, creative way for me to just feed my family. That was it. Okay. I didn't even... And again, I know I mentioned it in another episode about that book basically telling me, don't expect to be on set. Uh Writers aren't allowed on set. So any dreams I had of... Standing shoulder to shoulder with George Romero or Tom Savini while he worked on, you know, because I I always likened it to working on Creepshow or something like that. Those kind of evaporated because it was like, writers aren't allowed on set. So it was always kind of amorphous, this fantasy. Yeah. I guess I just thought, you know, if I hit it big, I could just sit here at home and crank out the scripts and that'll be that. You know, so I never really had a concrete image, a crystal image. But now, uh, when we're talking 20 years later, 20 years of work, got a couple titles under my belt. I've got a few in the fire now. Uh, You and I have launched this awesome podcast and uh, 5195 isn't just a podcast. You know, we're talking about making it something bigger. Yeah. None of this occurred to me ever. You know, I mean, I had hoped when we made Maternal, I was like, I want to work with this guy again, and because we hit it off so well, so I just started thinking, cool, I've got, I've got an avenue, and I got somebody who gets my shit. The dream or expectation kind of morphed into, well, now I'll just work with Brad, and we'll make cool things. You know, yeah, and uh, you know, if other people want to work with me, great, but I'm not going to think of that right now. I'll just work. Yeah. As far as expectations, you know, as long as I can support my family and do something i love that's all i can hope for yeah this where we are right now it never factored in so when i say you know what what? how did you phrase it like did i get where i wanted to be or it's not that i didn't want to be here doing a podcast it just never occurred it, it was never a thought and it's just one of the cool twists that this little journey's taken yeah which yeah. i'm happy with i think it's awesome
0: yeah because when we first met you were strictly writer like that this is yeah. all I'm going to do yeah and and I, I I never delved into that whole thing I was like okay he's a writer and that's it you know yeah. but the more we talked and even though I didn't bring it up to you right away but the more we talked about film and how in tune you were with it you
1: mean just the process
0: or- yeah yeah you know it, it's like you know being having such a vast knowledge of film and the process of how it's done, mm-hmm. you know, how film is made. I was like, man, it seems like more than just a writer. You know, I was like, I wonder if he would want to wear another hat. So I kind of started filling you out a little bit. You know, we, we had kind of, you know, talked about producing, you know, being a producer. Yeah. Well, and we're kind of exploring that at sh- the moment sure. a little bit more, you know. It's like you're kind of dipping your toe in a, a bit.
1: Just a smidge.
0: Just to see how it is, you, you know, know. There's
1: been some... Creative decisions I've been able to put forth in this format that yeah. we've talked about and some ideas. Yeah, there's been a few times where I I wouldn't have known it because I didn't pursue it. Mm-hmm. But we've had a conversation over the phone or in person where you're like, "That's a producer thought." Yeah, you're thinking like a producer, and I'm like, "Oh, oh, well, cool. All right, yeah. you know." But um, as far as those early days when we first started working together, uh, I figured one of the only other hat would have been you you really seem to want me to act mm-hmm. which was funny to me because that that never crossed my mind either really yeah no i never consider i mean when i was a kid i was a total ham i was always getting in front of the camera and being an asshole okay but i as an adult i was kind of like let the professionals do that you guys were so positive about my maternal experience that I was, I was flattered, genuinely flattered, and I was like, hey, cool, great. But <laughs> down the line when I wrote Cathedral, the feature script, one of your caveats was, I'm not going to do it unless you write a part for yourself. And I was mm-hmm. like, ah, fuck you, come on. You're like mm-hmm. you're like, no, I'm dead serious. And I was just like, I couldn't have done that well that you would want me to write. So I placated you, but at the same time I was like, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to fucking kill my character off real fucking quick. <laughs> As, as we went through rewrites, <laughs> I'm in it like quite a bit. Now. Yeah. I was like, son of a bitch. Yeah. But it was just, it, it was one of those deals where I was, again, not something in my big picture. So if Cathedral ever comes to be and I act in it, unplanned. Yeah. You know, it was something cool that you offered me, but going in, visualizing actor slash writer slash producer, no way yeah never would have con- never would have thought and you know and that's that's
0: funny you know because if you go back and look at a lot of these writers that you look up to mm-hmm. you look at their imdbs and it is writer producer
1: actor it is funny how many will i sometimes think of like john sales uh-huh. being a morgue attendant in the howling or just stuff like that um yeah. and that would have probably been okay because even even my cameo in maternal to be fair i probably if i knew it was gonna be something i would have played i'd have made it a lot shorter (sighs) like to me i'm like cool i'll do the hitchcock cameo you'll see me walking my dog in the background or some stupid shit and that's the thing
0: is like and that's why i didn't tell you because i knew you were gonna tailor it to your needs
1: Mm, mm, good point (laughs) and it's just like there's just no way well played you sinister bastard (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh you scurvy shyster bastard. Uh, no that it was nice to get that note yeah from you guys you know it was like but it was genuine. Okay. It
0: wasn't. I wasn't blowing smoke up your ass. You know, it was. And what, you
1: don't. You're a straight shooter. Yeah. You know. But it's like just something I never considered.
0: And you know what? And you know, just being such a, a fan of the '80s and and you know these these movies, I'm really big on characters and delivery. Mm-hmm. You know, and timing is really important. And I like to bring a lot of like the comedic timing over into. The scripts that i write sure. for myself you know and try to make it a little more lighthearted. And and my and one of my problem is i don't know restraint like when i write i just keep going because i'm having so much fun mm-hmm. i've been criticized many times where it's just like i get it you can write funny it's like you get to the point but you still keep going and going because you want to continue to laugh and you want you know because i'm so big on character sure. you know and it's like i just i just want to see this
1: which, that era of funny is so different from what today's funny is. Yeah. The funny that works today is mostly ad lib. You know, these mo- these movies by, like, Apatow and stuff where you're like, I could tell these guys are going off script and it's pretty goddamn funny. You right, know what I mean? Right, But, like, the 80s, there was a timing to it to be funny. 80s had a lot of deadpan, which was beautiful. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff that Leslie Nielsen was doing. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I understand that. And even to... To the flaw you mentioned, I, I do remember reading vinyl and two characters, one of them would cut the other one down, the other one would have a quip come back, and then the other one would be like, I'm just kidding. And the other one's like, I know, that's cool. Cool. You know, and I'm like, you could do away with all that. Right. You know, because it's like, let the burn be the joke. A lot of the
0: stuff that's in vinyl has come from real experiences.
1: Yes. Yes. You know, so
0: it was very easy to write that mm-hmm. because I had lived that. Like I said, you know, I based the two characters on my cousin and myself.
1: Well, that and you're supposed to, the, the vomit draft, they call it. Yeah. You're supposed to just write the way it flows out. And if it flowed out that way, yep. cool. Yeah. But, you know, you that's when you go back and you kind of take the realism out of it. I don't want to say that too much, but it's like, you're no one's going to talk the way we do out here. Mm-hmm. With the, the hems and haws. And so, I mean, you, there's a balance. There's a delicate balance, especially when you're writing funny. Right. Like you said, you know, you don't want a joke to drag.
0: Right. And it was also, you know, another thing that I was able to do for myself that I was not never able to do in scripts I was writing for other people. Sure. Or punching up other scripts. I wasn't able to have that freedom of just... Going full bore. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was let off the chain when I was doing my own script. Well sure. And yeah. I just wanted to this is yours. fill it like with as much fun mm-hmm. as I could. Yeah. You know, and then it came to the point where I was like, I I need to trim to make a movie, though. Yes. You know, yes. I need to trim to make a movie. It's like I remember the first one of the first drafts I written. Man, it was like 130-something 130 pages, 136 pages.
1: Which is a lot.
0: For a comedy for horror? A,
1: yeah, for that kind of thing, it's almost unheard of. Like, it yeah. was
0: crazy, you know? And I remember giving it to a buddy, and he read it, and he's a you know successful writer who's made it in the business and has a couple cult classics to his name, mm-hmm. and hopefully have him on the show, uh, Randy Kornfield. Mm-hmm. He was just like, I get it, you can write funny, but... You don't have to write all the funny.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, save some for another script. You know, um, and that's the thing. It's It's like, especially with the characters that you created for vinyl, getting to know them as you and I were collaborating on it, they're so well-drawn that a joke could end and someone should be able to know how the other one would react. Or by not reacting, that's almost funny too. Yeah,
0: that's why there is a lot of reaction footage that I want to shoot. Oh, sure. You know, because the person that I get for one of the characters, he has to be spot on for reaction. Sure. And when I did the short film, the guy that played him, Greg Dow, oh man, he's just got the perfect amount of reaction and he understands. He got it. Yeah. So now casting this new one, it's going to be tricky because I have a couple different people in mind and it's all timing reaction
1: based yeah you know it really is because he does do a lot of no dialogue react and here's the thing this is what's what's funny about doing what you're doing with vinyl Uh, with horror at least for me if a scare doesn't work you just kind of snicker and move on not every jump scare is going to get everybody or what have you when comedy doesn't work it's so noticeable it's Damn near awkward. How many of us have thrown a joke out there and it got crickets and you're just like, I could crawl into a hole right now. Yeah. You know, comedy, when you don't nail the funny, it could ruin so much. Oh, yeah. And that's that's the big balancing act you got to do with vinyl, especially in casting. Someone who could take little and make it funny by underreacting to a degree or having just the right cock of the head like the fuck. It's little stuff like that that get... Big laughs. You know, said real- cockhead. I did say cockhead. But yeah, I, th- I genuinely think that that'll be the toughest part is honing the humor. Because like me, I'm I'm very funny in a situational sense. I can pull things out of the ether and make it funny. I'm not good at putting funny on paper. But because this is an existing script that I'm I'm working with you on... I can look at it objectively and be like, you know, this would be funny if we did this, this, or this. Right. And you you did it beautifully, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. But like you sat down and made the jokes first, pulled them out of nothing. Yeah. And that is something I have a very hard time doing. Well, now
0: to be on the other side of this, Mm -hmm. I will say it's a horror film. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to put the scares, the, you know, the, the monsters, the, the violence, the blood, the guts, all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. in it. And I'll be honest with you, man. Like when it comes to writing a conjuring esque jump scare, Mm. I don't possess that. Really? Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's, there's something about that timing. It's like, I might be able to see it in my head, Mm -hmm. but then when I put it down in the script, I'm like, it doesn't work. Hmm. You know, it, it's, I don't know what it is. And I do have a difficulty writing those types of scares. And, you know, it's funny because I do have a couple of ideas. Well, I have one script that's actually a jump scare movie mm-hmm. and I did my best to create jump scares.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But as far as like impactful scary, you know, like if you take an Annabelle or the, you know, the nun or the exorcist, like it's, I, don't, I don't feel it's there. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel it ne- it needs a punch up in of itself. In your work. In my say. work. Yes, in my work. Cause yeah. yeah,
1: there's we're sort of beyond the point of, oh, it's just me. Yeah. That was kind of a big one in the eighties and nineties where the tensions mounting, 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 and then it's a yeah. cat. You yeah. Know, the false scare. Right. And I think that people, myself included, you get spoon-fed so many false scares that the legit ones don't have an impact anymore. Mm-hmm. Then you get stuff like today where the jump scare almost happens at random. And that's what makes it scary. Because you could be in the middle of a conversation and then something blasts out of the wall or whatever. Yeah. And that's been the tricky one lately is the genre sort of moves away from buildup. Yeah. Which is fine because sometimes just, you know, there's there's a jump scare in uh, The Haunting of Hill House that might be one of the best ones I've seen in years. And it happens in a car during a conversation. It's a two-shot. Well, no, it's not not even a two-shot. It's from passenger side window. Okay. You got your driver in the shot. And then in the foreground up by us is our passenger. And they're just talking and having just a regular... I think it's an argument, actually. They're both arguing. And then a ghost launches right in between them from the back seat. Wow. You know, there was no buildup. There was no... We see, uh, you know, a a front two shot of them and you see a shadow in the back or something. There was nothing to let you know. This was coming. Something was in the car with it, you know. And it was so effective that it actually went viral. Wow. That clip turned into a a gif, you know, and stuff like that. Those are the jump scares nowadays that are the most effective because everyone knows when you're clicking up the ride... To the top of the hill. Uh Uh-huh. That's the tension building. You got Manfredini pulling the strings, you know. You're right. Somebody's somebody's split up and they're looking behind doors. And we've been fed a lot of that. We've been fed decades of that. Mm -hmm. Now it's like just the way it would be in real life is you and I are having a conversation and then boom, someone blasts in. We don't, in real life, we don't have (laughs) buildup. Yeah. And I feel like the jump scares are more effective now because they're sprung on you like a mousetrap instead, yeah. of, instead of like you're pushing us towards the door we don't want to go in slowly 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 which i don't mind i love the suspense nowadays i think a healthy mixture of the two could make it a really effective scary movie right you know and i think with vinyl i don't think as of, as of this episode we haven't gotten to anything real scary just yet no the the scares yeah there's a little bit of creepiness at the beginning but yeah when we get to that point We'll have some decisions to make. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I'm better at writing scares. I'm better at setting them up and executing them. If I see something on the page, I'll be like, what if we do this? And you yeah. Could, you just let me know if it sounds like it would be a natural thing, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, that's that's one of the cool things about collaborating with you is you're open to the suggestions and uh, we both have our strengths and it's like- Right. It's a good fit. It, it really is, is. It really is. And it's like, you know, you, you can handle the funny and uh, I'll pop in with a quip or two, you know, bounce off of it. Yeah. Yeah. If I can help punch up the scares for you, this could be a pretty lethal flick. I think you so
0: know. too. I do. Manfredini's first set of notes for me was basically that. Like, you know, it's it's funny when I sat down with him, I was expecting a notebook full of notes. Really? Yeah, but he literally just had one page. Okay. And it was just tone it back. Mm -hmm. It was you got to the point, move on. Yeah. And then that was it. Yeah. You know, and I was like, okay, that makes sense. I, I get that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I that makes sense to me. And then, it was, and of course, it was also like, it's real fucking long, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I was always like, of that ilk of, well, we'll just do a director's cut. We'll shoot all this stuff. We'll mm. make a 90-minute, and then we can make it extra long for the fans if something happens, you know? Because um, I know there's lots of stuff gets cut.
1: Well, yeah, and we live in a time now where... Anything that hits the cutting room floor could be used as bonus features. I mean, that's the era we live in. Right. There's a very good waste-not-want-not attitude Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you did make the entire movie the way it is now, it's not like it couldn't be released at some point. Right. You know what I mean? And just give people the option. Mm -hmm. I don't like it when they don't give you the option. You went to the theater, watched the same tape for years, and then all of a sudden, I'm stuck with this Lucas edit forever because... I don't have the option anymore unless I go back and put in a take. Right. T- so if you're happy with the ninety-minute version, make the deleted scenes a supplement. If you thought your director's cut was better, put the two on there, mm-hmm. and you know, have, give fans a reason to toggle. But I think that's a good approach, especially with something like this where we're having to whittle right a lot, you know, and move things around. And
0: honestly, notes are just. They're just par for the course
1: oh yeah absolutely
0: it's like and I've come to expect them and I and I understand where the people are coming from most of the time oh sure you know I mean I have gotten some notes that I'm just like really mm-hmm like okay, I guess I mean you're paying me so yeah I'm just gonna do it
1: well it's funny when you you get certain notes and you look at them and you go did we read the same script yeah. I don't even know where you're coming up with this. Like, how would I shoehorn that idea into this? Or right. why would you make me take that out when it's like it's almost like a load bearing support beam? You know, it's like yeah. if I if I pull out what you want me to, everything else crumbles. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, there's instances like that. There's a lot, it happens a lot. But for the most part, the notes I've gotten from people, they're pretty much on the money. I get what they're saying. Did I ever tell you my story about D Snyder reading some of one of my scripts? No. <laughs> I had written a script years ago, and it made some noise in a few of the festivals, and it was called Video Nasties, and it's WGA protected. <laughs> um, it's It was basically the story of, uh, I don't want to call it a dystopian future, but very soon in the future, where we, as a modern-day society, suddenly adopted the 80s Video Nasties ban from the UK here okay. in America. Okay. And... Somebody was, it was a slasher story. It was my first slasher story where somebody was running around in a gylo type outfit, the long hat, long coat, gloves. But they were killing people in a manner reminiscent of the movie's band. Okay. And so the cops, the detective on the case had had her work cut out for her because she's not a horror movie fan, doesn't... She's got to watch this garbage to figure out moves and, you know... And right. And this person is leaving, essentially, snuff tapes for people to find. So it leads her into this underworld. I also had a reporter, sort of a current affair exploitation kind of reporter who is sort of gleefully covering these murders. Uh-huh. So these, these stories were intertwining. But I had a scene early on where the reporter had the talking heads, the old you know, CNN Fox News split screens, where they're having a debate about, are these movies the reason why this person's killing, or is this ki- person killing because of these movies?" You know, and <laughs> It went on for a page or two, and I remember I sent it to D a long time ago, and he hits me back. he goes, "I had to bail. I had to bail on it. It was just too much dialogue. And I said, understood. And he goes, this problem is, and he says, horror fans nowadays. And when I say nowadays, we're talking probably 10 years ago. This was, this was, but he goes, most of them aren't patient enough for this kind of dialogue. You've really got to, you know, hit with a scare 10 minutes, hit with a scare. And he, to his credit, he said, mind you, this is coming from someone who wrote one of the most loquacious villains in (laughs) horror movie history. (laughs) Yeah, You know, he's just like, I get it. I get why dialogue is important. I get why making your villain... And the funny thing is, my villain, I did make it a Jason Michael Myers-esque silent figure. Okay, The dialogue was mostly between the cop and this reporter trying to find the guy and some of the political ramifications of... What's happening? Because this is now a PR problem. Right. You know, I tried to have fun with the conventions of a censorship thing that happened decades ago. That, how would it work today? Uh Uh-huh. Because back then, you know, you could be arrested in London for owning Cannibal Holocaust or something. You know, you were sent to jail. Yeah. And I'm like, here in America right now, nobody's willing to give up shit without a fight. And I'm like, if you took away movies, how would people react? and that was kind of the message i was trying to get across and you can't do it with violence alone you can't really there's you could watch like the purge movies and get the social commentary behind this little thing uh-huh. but i really tried to make a statement i was really trying to make like a john carpenter george romero take a nice big swipe at sensitive viewers and censorship in general and all this yeah d was like too much <laughs> He goes, but he said he goes. You're, I could tell you're a talented writer. He goes, some of the gore and stuff up front. He goes, solid, good scares. He goes, but uh, too much dialogue. He goes, I. He goes, I'm a, I'm kind of busy and I just didn't have time, you know. And I said, I don't blame you, dude. No big deal. Yeah, he was really cool about it. But it was one of those deals for me too, and even Harry. Lord knows the last time I hung out with Harry, he's just like, some people, they'll have everyone talking and talking. And I, I'm looking at him like, I know, I know. Harry. <laughs> Thank you. I get it. But it's like, I, got, I, I have to do that. You know, yeah. I have to remember my audience and maybe some of this would be better for a novelization. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tarantino's doing it right now. You know, that we got the novelization of Once Upon a Time. Yeah. It's like, these aren't bad ideas. These are fun points to be made, but we could put them in other mediums. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's We're in a time now where everything gets scooped up and collected for archival. Yeah. So nothing's nothing really gets killed now, I I don't think. I got no problem meeting in the middle and trimming shit. Yeah, no, neither do I. You neither know? do I. It's just the compromise you got to make anyway. Well, yes,
0: and you got to learn that because when I first started... The first thing I, I had ever written, the uh, script-wise, I wrote it by hand on a legal pad, mm-hmm. and I wrote it almost like play form, like theater. Really? Because I didn't understand script formatting. I didn't have a book. I didn't have a program. I didn't have anything like that. And so I was going to write this thing on Word once I got done. You I've know done that? Yeah, and that is arduous. Yeah, I could imagine. You know, mm-hmm. and. You know, this this the first script that I wrote. I was, I wrote it from a place of I'm writing something that I want to see. Yes, and that's good and bad because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of stuff that just like kept going, you know. And of course, well, you know, when I was done with it that that first draft, I when I put fade to black, I literally flipped all the pages back. And just started reading it mm-hmm. instead of putting it away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm still fresh in the moment of like, this is fucking great. Yeah.
1: Like, oh my God, this well, is that awesome. Now you're also on the high of completion. Yeah, I finished something. It's over. Yeah, you know, I finished done. something.
0: And it was, I, I remember writing it for about two weeks. Yeah. Writing this thing for about two weeks. And it was like, I didn't know formatting. I didn't know structure. I didn't know three-act structure. I didn't know anything i didn't know i didn't know arc and tone and character development i didn't know jack shit nope no. you know i didn't understand description of character you know i didn't understand action slug lines all this stuff that goes into what we do now sure i didn't know any of that stuff
1: yeah there's so a, i was just writing consider
0: di- i'm coming up with names and this is it no backstory i had given it to a couple of people and they were like this is cool but they also weren't in the film industry Mm-hmm. They were just like friends. Yep, you know, and it's funny because it's still Kimmy's favorite piece I've ever written. Really, she's just like, I hope you make this one day.
1: I've got a couple of those. Yeah, she's yeah. like it,
0: and and the story is it's not horror per se, as it is crime okay. drama, which I love, but also very dark. Mm-hmm. Very like it would have been perfect in the seventies. Ooh,
1: just the decade of grit. Yeah, yeah, that would have been cool. You know,
0: so, but now you know it's like uh, where I am now. I'm I'm much more open to suggestion and collaboration. And yeah, yeah, because
1: most people only want it to be your best. Yeah, you know, they just they just want to help you. I know sometimes collaborations are foisted upon us, Mm -hmm. but when you get someone, you get a good pair going, like you and I. We, we get this. We kind of have the same sense of humor. Yeah. Grew up on the same stuff. So a collaboration between us makes a lot of sense. It definitely does. But there's, I get that. You know, I get how sometimes the notes are just okay. You know, and it's, it's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow, especially if you're just starting out. But you got to look at it big picture. Because once this script gets okayed, there's literally going to be hundreds of people having their own copy of it. Oh, yeah adding their own this or that, or you may have not had an idea about what everyone looks like. And then there's wardrobe who's like, how do you want me to dress these people? (laughs) You know, you know, your script doesn't really say anything. And you know, and that's a, not that you have to go into that kind of detail. Right. But see, that's another thing that where we
0: are different in what we write. And that's because, you know, like you said earlier, like you were writing to support your family. Yes. You wanted to write something Send it out and then start the next project Mm -hmm. as to where I was writing what I wanted to make. Yeah. Like I was writing for myself to create this stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, so I didn't add a lot of direction because I knew.
1: I was going to say that's anyone who directs their own stuff. You can do it however the fuck you want. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, it's, that's yours. So right. have right. at her.
0: Yeah. So that's I, I knew what I wanted. So when I was writing for myself, it's like okay, I know exactly what's going to go here. I know what this person's going to look like. I know what this wardrobe's going to be. Yeah. You know. So. Yep. I was I was a little more lax on myself. Sure. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's still tough regardless. Oh you know, yeah, it's still it's still it's fun, but I, it's still tough.
1: Anytime someone has. An opinion about your work, yeah. The positive shit sends you through the stars, yeah. The negatives hit you right in the gut, yeah. You know, and it's you just gotta just gotta roll with it, man. You yeah. know, and it's um, most of the time people aren't, in my experience, people haven't been dicks about it. Yeah, I remember telling my wife and a couple of friends about the D. Snyder thing, and they were just like, "He didn't even finish it." That seems bro-. and I'm like, "No, he's a busy guy," and he got back to me with notes. I'm like that's all I could ask for. And I was like, and if I hit it big, and he's, you know, he sees my name out there, he's like, cool, man. You know, I I helped that guy once. Yeah. Again, these this is someone else who didn't have to get back to me at all. Could have ignored me completely. He took the time. He probably got through a good thirty pages or so. I'll admit, I wrote a slow boil. Okay. You know, it was I was building tension to where literally the last. 20, 30 pages of that particular script is just a bloodbath. It's insane. Okay. It goes nuts. But I get why he's like, yeah, the studio is probably going to want you to uh, get to the point. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I was like, all right, I'll put the social commentary on hold here. Yeah. And that was the goal. It was like, I want to do something that in 30, 40 years, someone looks back at and goes, this movie had a lot to say about this or that at the time. And, uh-huh. Uh, you know, it's not just... For me, I'd never want to just write a popcorn flick. I love popcorn flicks, but I like when a movie has resonance with you and sticks with you well after you've watched it. I don't mind going for the ride. I personally, I can't just write something base and call it good. Uh-huh. I, I have to dress it up yeah. with, with something. Yeah. You know, I got to put some heart into it or a message or whatever. And, and usually what I do in that regard is very much like vinyl. I am a, I'm a genre salad kind of dude. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I just straight horror. That's cool, but I'll typically mix horror with action. Or I had a script that's a horror western. Yeah, it's just such a pliable genre that you can you can do anything with it. Definitely, like, you know. Yeah, when you when you mix your genres, you'd be surprised the creative opportunities that arise uh-huh. just from adding that other DNA. Yeah, you know.
0: Oh, that's me. That's what I was talking about. Yeah, like that. You're 100 percent right. You know, like just creating. It's mixed genre yep. together. You know, mm-hmm. like some of them, they work really well. And then I've had a couple that I've done and I'm just like, well, no, this, no. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've stopped. Sure. I've stopped writing something when it's like, mm, no. It doesn't it feel it doesn't like work. it's jiving. Yeah, it doesn't you know? work. but Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's fun. But keeping with fun, I do have uh, something okay. I wanted to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. This has been a topic of discussion as long as I could remember. Okay. Especially in the horror genre, but it's across all genres. For me, the majority of them are horror-based, mm-hmm. and that is your take on remakes.
1: Remakes, yeah, that's a touchy one.
0: It is a very touchy one, because there's people that are completely adamant, like, fuck remakes.
1: Yeah, no, I and I get that. And and there's a couple that I'm like, yeah, no, they don't do that. No, sure, yeah. yeah. Don't no, do I've, that. I've definitely got a few that I'm like, <laughs> how dare you? Yeah. <laughs> it's just the ball's on you to even want to attempt. Yeah. Um, like, I dread the day that... Someone's like Jaws is about to be remade. I'm like the fuck it is, you and, know. And, you know,
0: and here's the thing too. You know, we don't know how close it's been to being remade.
1: Oh, several. I'm you sure. Know? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. I mean, when people just look for IPs to capitalize on. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, the, the mid to late 2000s was almost all remakes, almost completely. Yeah. And it just got to a point where I'm like, what's left for you guys to exactly touch? That said, I can't get too bent out of shape about remakes. I remember one time, you know, I might have might have been even a conversation you and I had where a remake to me, I started I started resigning myself to the idea that a remake's a good cover song, and that was
0: a good explanation. You know, there's a
1: there's a lot of cover songs out there that you know I'll be like, you really fucked that up, or this sounds way different, but I dig it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and like one of the most polarizing ones for me that i still to this day i'm not sure how i feel about and this isn't even a movie yeah but it's it's in keeping with that thing when the band a perfect circle covered john lennon's imagine and they made it this funeral dirge kind of low piano and it was like they took a song that was so hopeful and beautiful and thoughtful and didn't change the lyrics it's the same lyrics But they turned it into something dark and menacing, and suddenly the tone of those lyrics it gave you a different view. Yeah, it you know it almost you know when John Lennon says "What if there was no religion?" and Maynard is like "What if there isn't any religion?" You're just getting the same message in two different ways. And with remakes, I know that for the most part, it's just pulling studios into the black because it's a recognizable name and they probably don't give a big shit about it well it's safe to make money yes it's 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 safe um so i go into them with a kind of a an eh feeling and some of them surprise me some of them really do my favorite of all time is still probably the thing i mean and that was from my childhood i mean i think they're so polar opposite though the original and carpenters. Yeah. oh yeah yeah I think it's I mean, just the name. <laughs> Car- Carpenters is closer to the book. Okay. Um, the book described something that could mimic yeah. and okay. absorb and okay. duplicate. Whereas the budget for the James Arness one from the 50s, it was like, yeah, you know, we're, we're in the era of Universal Monsters. The thing is just a big dude. Yeah. He's coming at you. And, yeah. and it's, a, it's a scary movie. It's oh, a it's still great. I love it. Fantastic yeah. film. But yeah, like, even if that, If I wasn't going off of source material, John Carpenter's is just, oh my God. You know, it's a relentless, relentlessly scary movie. And uh, that one stood out to me as a major remake that just fired on all cylinders. Oh yeah,
0: every frame is a masterpiece. It is.
1: Um, As far as modern, that one's a little tougher because they did go after a lot of...
0: Well, I'll give you one. Big names.
1: Modern-ish.
0: I mean, it's still, uh, what is it, 2014? Okay. Uh, the Town That Dreaded Sundown.
1: I've not seen that. I've seen the original. Um, now,
0: being from Texas, sure. those stories were around. Sure. And it was one of those things where parents used it to scare the shit out of their kids, like, you mm. know, get home yeah. before it gets dark.
1: There's there's a dude out there with a potato sack. <laughs>
0: yeah. For me, that was scarier than a monster. Oh, yeah. Because it was a real guy. Well, you now don't know it, what he looks we're, like. We're in the realm of true crime. And and I thought the remake was I think it did it justice. Really? I do. I do. Okay, so my views on remakes, honestly, I don't have a problem with them. Yeah. I never have. Like I I never have I've listened to people bitch and moan about like literally like get angry. Yeah. over them.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's
0: funny because you, you know, you did you put it the right way, you know, w- with your explanation of a remake. Like it genuinely it's a great way to explain.
1: Sure, because it's- the original that you love isn't going anywhere. Right. This isn't... It's not like a job where you're training your replacement. Yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't... Okay, the remake's out now. I guess I got to get rid of the old one. Yeah. No, it's. Yeah. it'll always be there. And if that's the one you want to watch, pop it in. Go yeah. nuts. Because there's some remakes that I downright loathe. And part of the reason is because I feel like... And again, with us being in the industry... I don't know how much of this is studio interference. I don't know how much of this is director or writer's artistic liberty. But I I have a problem with remakes that almost seem to look down on the original. I don't like remakes that I feel like when you watch it, you're like, you're being condescending to what came before it. You can tell. There's a vibe where you're like, did you even watch the original? Do you even give a shit? Is this just like, is this a gun for hire kind of thing for you? Versus the ones where... They put in little Easter eggs or something that makes you go, oh, cool. You can Mm -hmm. tell they're fans because they did this or that. One of the ones that really puzzles me that I like it so much was uh, the remake of Willard. Oh, yeah. With Crispin Glover. I think it's great. It's nothing like the old one. Because Willard in the old one, Bruce Davison, yeah, he kind of directed a horde of rats, but he seemed like a normal dude. Crispin Glover is like, Whacked out, and he's very creepy looking and gaunt, and he just looks like a weirdo to begin with. And then he gets rats to yeah. do his bidding. Yeah, and it's just a very dark, weird film. And to put them side by side, it's light and day. Mm-hmm. But as a remake, I was kind of like, this was kind of cool. Yeah, this was fun. So I enjoyed that one.
0: Yeah, like- uh, you know, I I have a pair. Sure. Of remakes that, like, uh, you know, a a comparison Mm -hmm. that I think they never should have made. Okay. And it's the 53 House of Wax versus the 05 House of Wax. Mm -hmm. You got Vincent Price and then Paris Hilton.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know.
0: Yeah. That shouldn't have been made.
1: Well, they kind of hillbillied it up too, didn't they? I mean, I. I like the idea of a whole town of wax, this deserted, creepy town. And, you know, I like the idea of the victims being turned into statues and shit. But it was really kind of Texas Chainsaw with wax. And the original was like a revenge story, mad doctor. I know these are themes that are kind of cheesy now, but... But if you go back and watch it, it's so good. Yes. And it's like you could have done something a little slicker, smarmier. You know, it it could could have poked fun. Like, I almost feel like the best wax movie to come out after Vincent Price's was Waxwork. Oh, yeah, hands down. Because you just, you have fun with the idea of the wax museum versus in the 2005 one. Yeah, it's a town made of wax, but you're just telling a slasher story. If you took out the wax part, it's no different than Wrong Turn or anything like that. That, And that's why I didn't really care for that either, because it was like, you didn't do anything original with this. You just, it almost felt like the wax shit was an afterthought. Yeah. So I i didn't care for that. I'm also not a big fan of, uh, and this is Dark Castle too, I believe, 13 Ghosts. Oh, okay. The original 60s one to me is, it's so goofy and funny. Yep. And it's just a fun, it's really a family ghost movie. It's, it is. It's for kids. But when I went to the new one, I was like, I remember thinking, yeah, this is rated R. So we're not fucking around Uh this is not gonna be like the other one and when you thumb through fangoria and you see the wicked goddamn makeup for these 13 ghosts everything looked like something out of hellraiser it was like all these things would look nuts and then you go to the movie and these ghosts are shown in quick almost seizure inducing flashes and i'm like i can't get a good look at the ghosts uh everyone's just running around screaming The House is a big Rubik's Cube. Mm -hmm. It was just kind of like, there's too much going on. It's sensory overload. And yet I'm still not getting what my senses wanted. Yeah. (laughs) And it just, I I hate movies that go everywhere and nowhere all at once. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, my favorite thing about that was just Matthew Lillard. He got all the good wisecracks. He was the only one with a brain. Uh, For some reason, Shannon Elizabeth's obsessed with bathrooms. That was her character's Mm -hmm. entire arc. I hope this place has a bathroom. My God, Dad, look at this bathroom. <laughs> I'm just like, what the fuck? You know, I was like, what a what a weird hang up to give a character. Yeah. But it was just, that was disappointing because I felt like it just missed the mark. Right. You could have done something more in tune with the original. You don't have to be that cheesy. You could have even still made it rated R, but it doesn't have to be MTV. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of those early ones felt like. The, it was just flashy. a lot of early
0: 2000s, re, like just not even remakes in general, but just horror films. Sure. Just the flashy, hectic, herky-jerky. It was jerky. all MTV. Yeah.
1: And it just, I couldn't get into it. That was, that to me was a good example of one where I was like, why'd you bother? Yeah. Just, uh, uh, another
0: one of why'd you bother for me was the, the 2010 remake of Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: Mm-hmm. I only seen it the one time. I've only seen it once. Yeah. I don't remember hating it. And I had to give Jack Earl Haley credit for being imposing while knowing nobody's going to accept him. That had to be hard. It's not like Derek Mears picking up Jason. Right. For his remake, which I enjoyed. Yeah, same. I really enjoyed the the Friday the 13th one. But Nightmare, there was a lot of good ideas, a lot of cool effects, but it just kind of existed. hmm And I, I couldn't really... The needle didn't really move for me, no, but there was one line I remember taking from it where Freddie's got the one kid, and he goes, "What did he say? The brain stays awake for like eight minutes after death, so we still have seven minutes to play. And I just remember that was such a chilling thought, and I was like, that was cool, yeah. you know and then of course the the last stinger kind of through the mirror, doing the the mom through the door kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. There were things about it I liked. Visually, it was a cool movie, but it was like, you guys kind of forgot what Freddy was all about, I feel like. You know, it was... And, you know, spoiler alert for those of you listening. They kind of made it look like he was an innocent man at first. Yeah. And that could have been so much better. Instead, he did wind up being a creep. Right. And I'm like, oh, well, then you just kind of... You, you teased a new angle and took it away because what if Freddie was innocent
0: right and this is this is what I think if you're gonna do a remake why not do a reimagining yes where take the substance take the characters mm-hmm. and just go in a different direction for fantasy sake sure we have the original that we can you know covet mm-hmm. but then we have this that it's like oh it's something you know something cool like the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know, it's like he took this dark moment in history and made it to where everyone...
1: What, uh, what, yeah, what if the multiverse let us see what happened that night? Yeah. You know, in a different way. So it's like, if you do that with remakes, okay,
0: that's cool. Unless you're giving it a an, an, an upgrade on budget and flair that the first one didn't have sure and the perfect one for that in my opinion is tom savini's night of the living dead Mm, mm -hmm. now of course the original one is a classic Mm -hmm. of course that goes without saying yep but the version that savini gave us is one of my favorite zombie movies Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite remakes I think it's it's just, it's an amazing film.
1: It was solid. It's it been was. A, It's been a long time since I've seen it.
0: You know what? I revisit that movie more than I thought I would. Really? I saw it in the theater in 90 when it came out. Did you? And obviously then, you know, VHS. Yeah. Which I still own the VHS that I bought when it came out. <sighs> sure. You know? And then of course, you know, the Blu-ray, you know, the DVD and the Blu-ray. hmm it, it was just, yeah. I, I think it's a, it's as close to day of the dead zombies. Sure. Those are my favorite zombies.
1: Yeah, day of the deads were horrific.
0: Yes, and I feel like he used those zombies mm-hmm. in in day of the dead. This the really gnarled, you know, decomposed like, you know, yes. the dark bloods and just like the discoloration like
1: mm-hmm. they were very convincing. The uh, the cloudy eyes. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. very convincing and it was like they studied, and I know they did, like pictures of corpses. Yes, you know, which Savini's always done stuff like that. Yep, you know, and you gotta, um,
1: you gotta have the stomach for it. Yeah, it's not death is not pretty. No, um, no, I remember enough about the movie that I liked it. Um, I do remember Patricia Tallman and how they took Barbara, who, as much as I love Judith O'Day, mm-hmm. who did a wonderful job. Oh yeah. Uh, and she's that, a sweetheart. She's a total sweetheart. She's an absolute sweetheart. But it's like her character's written to be kind of a wet rag. Yeah. You know, you're here to be traumatized and then you get up at the end and cram yourself out the door. Yep. Whereas Savini saw an opportunity to turn her into kind of a Sigourney Weaver badass. hmm uh-huh. You know, and I, I loved Patricia in that remake. She's fantastic. Yep. The alternate reality of Ben... Yeah, like The way his ending is, is very different and kind of fitting.
0: And see, and that's it. That's that reimagining thing. Yes. You know, like where yes. he took these characters and he had the same journey, mm-hmm. but a different path. Right. And that was cool. I like seeing that. Me too. You know, it was, it was a remake, but it was his story to tell.
1: Well, for that matter, even uh, James Gunn and Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Phenomenal zombie movie. Yes. Yeah. I, but again, just the basic framework of uh-huh. basically it's a zombie movie at a mall that's yeah. all they took from it uh there's little easter eggs you, and you
0: know the easter eggs you got are this, just
1: homage you know, they are and you i'd love seeing ken in it yeah uh you know savini at one point and you know, you could tell it was made by fans, but it was not the same type of zombies, not the same type of scenarios. Right. Definitely not the same characters. Yeah. It was just a whole group of people stuck in this fucked up situation, and it was genuinely scary. They did a great job. It was intense.
0: George wasn't a fan.
1: No, he wasn't. And I understand that.
0: <laughs> I understand it, you too, know. because his explanation makes sense. Yes, you about, know, of, about
1: runners, yeah. Like, yeah. if these
0: things are rotten and decomposing, how are they gonna?
1: They're, they'd be falling apart, like, yeah. You know, the T1000 when he's but, frozen,
0: but again, it's just reimagining, it is, and that's just... why I'm able to accept it, yeah. And but I, I get where he's coming from because that's his baby, it is, you know, so
1: and people tend to forget that that and 28 days later weren't the first running zombies they right were, they were running in return of the living dead yep you know yep somebody a long time ago dan o'bannon said would they be just as scary if they were charging after you mm-hmm. you know and yeah fuck yeah I, yeah I, if the zombie apocalypse had sprinters i'd be dead tomorrow i wouldn't make it through the night but uh no i enjoyed that one too i got one yeah hit me the blob 88 holy fuck amazing remake yes Amazing remake. I fucking love The Blob. Yep. Terrifying. Very terrifying. It's so scary. And it's funny and fun at the same time. But that movie... That was one that... That and Creepshow 2. Uh-huh. Those two, I kind of seen them relatively close together. I remember thinking, these movies don't give a fuck about kids. Yeah. (laughs) All the kids get fucked in these movies. (laughs) That's bad. Because, I mean, the one... The one movie, the bullies are getting eaten by these Venus fly traps. I'm like, damn, you just fucking killed a bunch of kids. Yeah. I know they were bullies, but that was kind of the taboo. You don't fucking kill kids. Yep. The kid in the blob, I was like, did not expect to see him as f- melting and all fucked up. Yeah, that movie took no prisoners. No. And it was very, very frightening, very yeah. graphic. Yeah. It wasn't just rolling jelly. Yeah. Yeah. This, this thing could rip you to pieces. Yep. It was just, oh man, what a brilliant movie. It was. It that was. one. That one's definitely up there with like the thing. Yeah, for sure. definitely You is. know, that one's, that's one that I think audiences went into similarly, like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And came out kind of like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, I love The Blob. Great yeah. film. To go back to kind of your taking a theme but changing it, I'm one of the few that kind of dug the new child's play. Oh, so did I. It was hilarious. Yeah. But it was also, yes, it wasn't Chucky. It wasn't Chucky traditional. There's no voodoo. He wasn't a serial killer. He was basically your Amazon thing, you know, the the computer, Uh uh, Alexa. He was basically a walking, talking Alexa. And basically, I love that the movie was just more or less riffing on social dependency. Or uh, not social, tech dependency. Mm -hmm. And that was the message. And it was like one of the things I didn't expect when I went and seen that movie was when Chucky did want to kill something and they attacked him for it. He thought he watched them laughing at the slasher movie. Yeah. So I was just trying to make you laugh. And then the next shot, you see him kind of in timeout, like looking sad and I'm like, poor Chucky, (laughs) you know, but it was like, as a machine, he didn't understand. And it was like, when he went haywire, It was like, well, this is what you get for relying on technology to do every
0: goddamn thing.
1: And that's why I also liked Megan this year.
0: Okay. I Uh, haven't seen that.
1: Megan is almost as good, in my opinion, because I know a lot of people didn't like the Child's play movie, but Megan got better reviews, more people liked it. But it's essentially the same movie where um, a little girl lost her parents in a car accident and her aunt, who is like a big, you know, artificial intelligence scientist, toy designer. She creates Megan. Uh Uh-huh. And Megan is just supposed to be sort of a companion, almost a Teddy Ruxpin. She studies, Megan will study your, you know, your temperature levels, your anxiety, and try to make you feel better if you're sad or explain something if you don't understand it. Just a very cool concept. But then the little kid becomes, it's like, Little kids with video games. Okay, turn Megan off. We got to eat dinner. No, Megan sits with me. And then all of a sudden, Megan's like, Why are you yelling at my friend? You know what I mean? And it's Megan never goes anywhere you don't 100% expect it to go, but it's so much fun and so well done that I didn't give a shit. And I thought it was to me, Megan and the Child's Play remake could be sequels. (laughs) They're a good double feature there okay you know? so yeah if you liked one i would imagine you would like the other okay but yeah i do enjoy that whole tech dependency thing because it's such a thing right now you yeah know, especially with definitely our kids is. yeah so i was like yeah i dig a horror movie that kind of goes you know what unplug or it's gonna fuck you up yeah <laughs>
0: no that's cool that's <laughs> no, it cool i was
1: i really enjoyed that
0: well shit i think it's about that time yes sir i think it was a good discussion yep it as was always cool. it was informative it's good stuff don't be so hard on remakes
1: Yeah, just give them a shot or avoid it.
0: Yeah. Because at the end of the day, regardless if you don't like it or not, from where I can see it, I know you can see it, there's hundreds of people that are making these things, you know? And it's like they're still busting their ass to make something, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and like, you know, no one sets
1: out. To make a bad film.
0: Exactly, you know? So don't watch it then.
1: And you know what? To the horror fans out there, quit climbing on the cross and acting like this is... The only genre that does it. Do you know how many westerns have been remade? Oh, yeah. How many action films, family movies, comedies? Remakes are every fucking where, mm-hmm. everywhere. But we're horror fans, so we see them the most in horror. They're everywhere. It's gonna happen. Yeah. No matter what. Just look at it like a cover song. You can either bop along to it, or if it didn't do it for you, go back and listen to the other one. That's S- it. Still there. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Nope. So. All right, man. I guess I will see you next week. Yes. Maybe next week we could just remake this episode. <gasps> Hey-o! <laughs> All right,
0: man. Well, <laughs> until <laughs> next time. See you guys.